Thank you for joining us for Dwelling Place Lithia Podcast. We hope this message will help you find your identity in Christ and create growth in your life. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. It's always a desire that whenever we open up Scripture that the Lord would make it real to us. You're watching movies and TV programs or you're at sporting events and those Exciting times happen and you feel them inside. But this is different. Because those things can't change you inside. I'm an emotional preacher in case you don't know, so buckle up. I think it's fitting... And when I walked in here and saw this table that last time Jesus was here and this Mel was partaking of, there, there was a thief in the room, a deceiver, a cheater, a sellout, and he served them, as Jeremy said, Multiple times, the interesting thing to him is that he washed his feet. I've entitled this message, The Thief, a Shepherd, and a Doorpost. So I want to open up to John 10. And while you're finding your place, John 10, 1 through 21... Lord, I just ask you to make these words be real. Let them have feet. Let them be a scalpel to those who need it. I pray that you just take this word and that you would change all of our lives exactly where it needs to be. Let these words not just fall void, Lord. But they're your words and they would do your work, not ours. We thank you for it all. Jesus' name, amen. John 10, start at verse 1. I wasn't planning on preaching on a parable, but it happens to be where the text is at. So here we go. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief, and a robber. You ever like been trying to get in your house because you didn't have the key because your spouse had the key and you're trying to break in through the windows and trying to pick the locks? You're probably not a thief or a robber. You just ain't got your proper key. But this guy, he, ain't, he doesn't have any keys and he doesn't have any authority to be where he's trying to get to. He's a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door, enters by the door, is the shepherd of the sheep. 
To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him. Because they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, to be clear, they recognize that this is a stranger. Because how else would you, like, you know, hey, that's not the shepherd. So clearly, I know this is a stranger. But I don't have intimacy with that stranger. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things which were, sorry, what those things were which he had been saying to them. I'd kind of probably be in good company with them sometimes. You ever not know clearly what the Lord is saying to you? Lord, make it clear. Verse 7 says, So Jesus said to them again, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me, capital me, are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastor. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd... Lord, I can't read if I can't see. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and not concerned about the sheep. I'm going to stop reading there because I can't see. (laughs) Jesus is alluding to the fact that the leadership at the time was not good shepherds, as they did not come through him. And the leadership's argument was that they were the pastors of the flock and that Jesus, having no commission from them, was an imposter or an intruder. There are also those who are not thieves that kill and destroy the sheepfold that pass as shepherds but are hirelings. 
So sometimes there's people that aren't, they don't intend to be a thief. They're not trying to be a thief. They're just a hireling and they ain't got no vested interest in you. They don't care about you. When it comes down to the rubber meeting the road, they're out. What does this have to do with me? How can I be a thief? Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Anybody think he was Satan? No. But he was clearly fighting for the wrong kingdom at the time in that phrase that he said to Jesus. Get thee behind me, Satan. You're fighting for the wrong kingdom. You don't have to like have a title of a thief today to be a thief. All you got to do is exit that doors, go down in the convenience store down the road and steal something, and guess what? You're a thief. You know how you stop being a thief? Stop stealing. Thief is not an identity. It's something people do. What happens when you become your own thief or your own shepherd? The thief does not only come to kill and destroy life, but sometimes the thief comes to steal affections. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all sort of evil, and some longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. They rob from themselves. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound hearing or doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. For the married folks in here, you know, you tickle your wife's ear. <laughs> Get the expression? Have their ears tickled. They will accumulate or collect for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Now, what good does it really do you to have a teacher that just validates what you already believe to be truth? Like, how are you going to learn anything if somebody doesn't challenge what it is that you adhere to truth? Because everything we believe ain't truth. And I've said this before, things may be factual to us today, but that don't make them truth. Because facts change. I could have a tire on my car that has air in it right now, and I could go outside and it'd be flat. So it's factual I had air in my tire, but the truth is it's flat now. So facts can change. So I don't know who it is in here today, but I didn't, this is not my notes. But there's some things that are factual in your life that you're fighting for. 
and you're getting up in the morning and you're putting on the armor and you're getting your sword out and you're going to battle against principalities and rulers in dark places because there's some things that seem pretty factual to you today. But I'm going to tell you when the truth shows up, the facts change. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth must be obeyed, not just studied. James says in James 1.22, be doers, not just hearers that dilute themselves. The Message Bible says it like this. Do not fool yourself into thinking you are a listener when you are nothing, but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear, explanation point. Those who hear and don't act are like those who look in the mirror and then they walk away and then two minutes later have no idea who they are or what they look like. Preaching to me. It's interesting here in the text, see, the shepherd would go ahead of the sheep. What good would it do a shepherd to just send them all out into the field and he don't know if there's any snakes, potholes, maybe there's a wolf lying in the high grass that they're fixing to go eat? But the shepherd would go ahead of the sheep. How many times have we become our own shepherd? Well, I'm schooled and proper. I can go check this field out for myself and find out if I can go graze here. Anybody ever find yourself grazing in a bad pasture? Eating bad grass, drinking water out of potholes? Says that he would go ahead of them. Sometimes you become your own thief or robber because the decisions we make are the opportunities that we neglect. I feel like I rob myself all the time. I don't live in condemnation of that, but I'm aware of decisions that I choose or activities you may choose to be a part of and you should have chose to be a part of a different activity. It doesn't even have to be bad activities. We all sit at tables in many different parts of our life. What does this have to do with anything? The table is where growth can be measured. It is also the place where you can find rest and help. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. How many know that we all sit at tables? We could sit at a church table, or we could sit at a leadership table, or we could sit at a uh, family table. And there are those that are sitting at different seats in that table that are depending on you to show up and sit in your seat. Because if you don't sit in your seat, your seat's neglected. And they need you. Man came 
To serve, not be served. So if I neglect my seat at the table, to those that I'm closest with, I'm robbing them. If I don't sit at the seat of a father at my table at home, I'm robbing my family. If any of us don't sit in the seats that are our seats in this house and this body, we're robbing each other. Because we need each other. Because there's things that are a burden to me that are not a burden to Jeremy, are not a burden to Pops. But there's things that's burdens to them that's not a burden to me. It's easy. Oh, I can carry that. You weren't supposed to carry somebody else's load. You're supposed to carry yours. A lot of times we run around chasing other people's loads. And that's just a load. <laughs> Got to read between the lines. There are other things done around the table other than just eating. We play games, we do business. Sometimes we just lounge. It's important to know what type of table you're at and to know what is your responsibility at that table. Jesus had some responsibilities around this table. And I'd, I'd like to know if they were horsing around and playing games at that table. We ain't got no record of that. What I do know is there's a ragtag bunch of guys, so there's probably some pretty good stories that we could tell about that table that they neglected to write down. But everybody has a proper seat at any given table, and when you come to a party, you don't take the seat of honor, the Bible says. Somebody who's supposed to be sitting in that seat might show up, and you're going to look foolish when... The host tells you, hey, buddy, um, you got to go to the back. No, we know about Scripture. We could go run to the back because we're still going to be first because he said the first is last. <laughs> Sit me in the back. In 2 Kings 24, I'm not going to read it. Well, I guess I'll read a little bit of it. It says, 24, verse 14 through 16, it says they led away the captains. This is during a captivity. All the captains, all the mighty men of our 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and the smiths, not these smiths, but the smiths, none remained except the poorest of the land. Verse 16 says all the men... Of our 7,000 and the craftsmen and the smith and the 10,000, all strong and fit for war. And these the king of Babylon brought into exile of Babylon. How many of you know you don't attack a house without first binding the strong man? And just maybe you rob yourself out of having a strong man in your house. Because you allow 
your flesh, we allow our flesh to be the predominant strong man in our house. Because the flesh wars against the spirit. And somebody's going to be in charge at any given moment in your life. Matthew 12, 29 says, Or how, or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. We might call that self-sabotage. People will reduce what they have on the outside to the way they feel on the inside. And then we think there's something messed up with that person and we don't have any time for them. We don't realize that that's what they feel like inside. And maybe if we could change their inside, their outside would change. There are those that would steal food from the sheep and try to lead them astray. In A.D. 70, when the temple got destroyed, they had a siege city, so they were very well equipped and had food. And from inside their own camp, the sector of the zealots burned all the food and supplies to try to force their countrymen to fight. They robbed the food from them, from inside their own camp. Sounds a little bit like when Jesus was talking about the Lord's Supper and people coming in and loading up on the food and not giving any to the poor. They were stealing the food from the sheep. In 2 Kings, where it talked about them leading away all the craftsmen and the smiths. Sometimes, you don't even have to be led away into captivity to stop you from forming your weapons of warfare. All the enemy's got to do is get you a smithing and equipping idols. If he can get you using your resources to make false idols, there's going to be no weapons to fight with. So if we spend all of our time fashioning different idols in our lives and things that we serve, we're not going to have any weapons to fight with because we're fashioning and spending our times on the wrong things. It's interesting, I'm... Getting close to closing here. In Zechariah 11, 15 through 17, just to give you an idea of something that the prophet said here about shepherds. Then the Lord said to me, Take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek 
the young or heal the main or nourish the healthily, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hoofs. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. That's pretty rough. In Genesis 3.29, it says that the door of innocence was shut because man sinned. So I can now no longer enter the throne room of my shepherd under my innocence because I'm not innocent. In Acts, it says that God opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So we enter into the throne room or the table of our shepherd through faith, not through innocence. That's good news. Because if we feel like we're not innocent and we can't approach, you're right. But you can approach through faith because that door was open to us. The thief, the shepherd, and the doorpost. I was at work when the Lord was talking to me about the thief coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And he said, what happens when you become your own thief? And through conversation with the Lord... I was recollecting all the times I've cheated myself and robbed myself and robbed my friends and robbed my family. I felt pretty bad about myself. And I don't know how many people have this tradition in their home, but my mom would always, when we were growing up, mark our heights on the doorposts to see where we've been. And how, how we've grown and progressed over the years. And don't you know if she did that every day, you're not going to see much of a movement. And you can feel pretty bad about yourself. I think you're not growing much. And the Lord brought that back to my remembrance. And he said, at least you have a mark on the doorpost. And the Lord, I shared that with our leadership, and I really believe that that is a body word. Don't neglect your small beginnings. Don't neglect your shortfalls. Don't neglect your stunted growth. At least you have a mark on the doorpost. It was probably a little heavier for me than everybody else. So, Lord, 
I'm grateful for you. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, please share it. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at dwellingplacelithia.org forward slash donate. We'll see you next week, and may God bless you and your family.